The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, Episode 112. A fake movie feast of sequels for Thanksgiving. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now. Ding dong. Oh, hello. So glad you could make it. How was your flight? Can you believe this weather? Well, drop your suitcase and jacket in the bedroom. Take a load off. The turkey's in the oven. We're ready to set the table. It's a fake film feast here on Sequel Quest. But before we explain to you the concept of this triple F extravaganza, let me bring in the rest of the family. Currently pulling the foil off his famous macaroni and Oreo casserole. It smells good, Jeff. <laughs> macaroni and Oreo? <laughs> Next, he may put walnuts and cranberries in the stuffing, but we love him anyway. Howdy, Jeremy. All right. <laughs> and currently hoarding away all the dark meat for myself while sneaking a few morsels to the family dog, I'm Adam. So, during this season of Thanksgiving, where so many different dishes are set upon the dining room table at the big meal, we decided that it would be fun to have a show full of potluck pitches, as it were, where instead of all of us bringing our ideas for a single film, each host has prepared a duo or so of their favorite film flavors <laughs> that, in some cases, may be an acquired taste for the rest of the team, you know, might never come to be for an entire higher episode but the discussion can be had this time around in the spirit of thanksgiving before we get going uh, an appetizer has been set on the table for us to munch on because you know there are a lot of christmas movies or patriotic films for fourth of july or veterans day horror films for halloween even fern gully could qualify for an arbor day film <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that Thanksgiving films are a celebrated genre, so I figured let's give them the spotlight for a moment here, right? Well, I mean, if we're talking Thanksgiving movies, we have to start out with The Weasel yeah! and Son-in-Law. This Polly Shore film, the whole premise is that the only reason he's going home with his friend is it's Thanksgiving. She's worried her ex-boyfriend is going to propose to her. She's got to set him off the set. Polly Shore, crawl. He's going to learn to be a country boy. I think it's also like genre-wise to talk about a holiday movie is that a lot of these holiday movies are only set at that time of year like i still say it's a wonderful life has nothing to do with christmas other than it ends on christmas so right. that's our category yeah again son-in-law is definitely a thanksgiving movie but it does feel like yeah well i mean even uh, miracle on 34th street starts on thanksgiving day because they're watching the parade a lot of people always throw out planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, with Steve Martin, John Candy. That's one that I hear often. It's actually one I've never watched. I hear oh, it's great. Really? I hear it's heart-wrenching and all of that, but I've never caught up with it. So I'm going to have to do that this year, I think, because I hear it's one of John Candy's greatest performances. Well, another one, Adam's Family Values. Oh, really? That's another yeah. one. I watch the first one all the time, and I don't always come back for the sequel, ironically mm. enough. But it's a good one. I, I think of Dutch, 
with Ed O'Neill, Al Bundy yeah. himself, if anybody remembers that. Possible stepdad has to pick up stepson, and they have misadventures along the way. It's a road trip movie, also like planes, trains, and automobiles, I guess. Lots of road trips for Thanksgiving. Well, because generally Thanksgiving, you travel to see family. So, of course, road trips are plentiful. Grumpy Old Men is also oh. included in the list of Thanksgiving movies due to that thanksgiving dinner scene yeah broadening our minds here that's what i'm saying that i feel like we just wanted to give everybody a few suggestions if you feel like your thanksgiving playlist is running a little short there's a few right there that you can enjoy with the family after you got a belly full of green bean casserole Mm-mm-mm. right and i was gonna say if you've seen uh, christopher guest for your consideration is oh, yes. the movie they're making ends up being home for thanksgiving even though it started off with home for porum yeah 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 so. <laughs> a younger robert downey jr makes an appearance in home for the holidays and those holidays include thanksgiving they do include Thanksgiving. Okay. It's about a Thanksgiving get-together. The more recent one that I thought of instantly was Paul Blart Mall Cop. The first one? I just watched yeah. it. Yeah. There's Thanksgiving in that? I missed that, well, too. Well, it's, it's Black Friday. Oh, of course. So it's a tangential <laughs> association, but it was it was lingering there. It's funny to me that consumerism has, you know, everybody always complains about Christmas, you know, and, and the, the consumerism has taken over that. But the fact that also Thanksgiving just as much, doesn't it feel like Thanksgiving is, it's a big deal and yet it's kind of the transitional holiday for a lot of people. It's like, it's just the beginning of Christmas. It's pre-Christmas meal, you know, and then you get into the big day. In a way. And that's the interesting thing. Like you guys have talked about the, these different films, the one trend again and again is home for the holidays coming home for thanksgiving whereas christmas you've got the themes of giving and selfishness and blah 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 uh, but Thanksgiving seems to be like, yeah, I got to get back with the family or got to get, you know, whatever those. Wait, giving and selfishness? Are you saying it just goes <laughs> either way on Christmas? It does. Well, because, I mean, think about it. Like, that's that's a Christmas carol is that the opposite of giving is selfishness. And so they right. talk about those as the, as the themes oh, predominant. Okay. I thought you were saying we're celebrating selfishness. Well, <laughs> like, no. you can debate that too. I've seen Jingle All the Way. I know how it goes. Oh, got to get the Timberman. Well, since we don't want to get too deep into that philosophical discussion, bleeding over into Christmas already. Well, so let me set the table this way. Basically, this episode is going to be Papa Adam bringing the main dish and <laughs> Jeff and I bring the sides well i should point out that so to get to all the movies that adam that your heart may desire i don't, I don't think we have enough time for that <laughs> but nonetheless to give you free reign i i feel like it's it's scratching that itch for you yeah they just just get it out of my system and then we can get on to a new year and films that people have heard of well debatable there too, but nonetheless <laughs> Speaking of that, let me just kick it off with the, the most obscure suggestion that I could possibly have. My hope is that this will lead people to find the film, uh, which is currently available for free on YouTube. It is oh, no. a film that I discovered probably around 1997, uh, just as Jeff and I were beginning our friendship. This is a film that played on cable TV on like a Saturday afternoon. I think we had both both slept over at our former co-host Justin's house that night just to hang out, you know, mid-morning, early 
early afternoon comes on this film and it was a film starring a face that i recognized because i was just fresh off of stopping my viewing of mighty morphin power rangers and during that time there was a spin-off series called masked writer starred a young man named tj roberts same concept as Power Rangers. Let's take an old Japanese show called Kamen Rider, and we'll use that footage, and then we'll have goofy American footage. And uh, he was like a space prince that could transform into a bug-armored superhero on a motorcycle and fighting space villains, all so on and so forth. But this movie was called Tiger Heart. Oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm relieved. Uh, are you sure we saw this one together? I don't remember seeing this <laughs> Well, one. it was at Justin's house. I assumed you were there because generally okay. the three of us were hanging out. I'm not, I don't expect right. you to remember it. But the basic premise of this film is there's a kid who's really good at martial arts and he meets a girl that he likes, but there's an evil land developer that is trying to bulldoze the city block so he can build a mall and he's hired these gang members to come and chase out all the current renters and owners of these businesses and it is my favorite so bad they're good like this film is tailor-made for how did this get made i am hoping i can someday send copies to uh, paul jude and jason over there and that they will see fit to show this to the world because what it is is the guy's really good at martial arts, but then there has to be a movie around that. And this kid is so smug. The two highlights I'll mention. Number one, they go to a pool party and a slow dance breaks out. Like everybody in bikinis and swimsuits slow dancing next to the pool. Also, because he's this superstar at his dojo, the final showdown with all the thugs who, you know, this was made in 1996. They look like they're from 1986. The outfits that they're all wearing, they got boom boxes on their shoulders. They're wearing berets. They got sunglasses and they all wear terrible wigs, you know, because they're stuntmen. And in the end, he calls upon the power of six to 11 year olds you know it's kind of like three ninjas where you got these little kids beating up these giant brawny beefy guys and yeah it is so funny to watch this film if you just want to check it out even on my own youtube channel there's a song that plays during the closing credits called tiger heart speaking of which the main character's name is eric there are no tigers in the film. <laughs> the cover art of the DVD, which I own, shows him half his face as a tiger, half his face as human. You would think he could transform into a tiger, man? That's not what this movie is about. This is urban martial arts warfare with a, a real smug little punk. Well, okay, so the first quote I'm finding from this movie, Paulo, you can rape, kill, torture a few little kids and blow up a few mailboxes. Just keep it in the neighborhood, okay? Which they do. They smash RC wow. cars from little kids. They're taking crowbars to fruit stands. And they do blow up a mail car post office vehicle. I don't know what those are called all these years of my life. A postal vehicle. Pretty funny. <laughs> and the bad guy, Paulo, he was part of the Los Locos gang in Short Circuit 2. <laughs> and he actually is the best part of the movie. They did some good writing or they let him improv. But either way, what I said was, if I'm going to see a continuation, let's say this is a universe where Tiger Heart did really well on cable. Ted Jan Roberts, <laughs> he got himself a second season of Masked Right which didn't happen because he was also by the way the producer of this film so he used his power rangers money to make this movie and then he did wait make hold a movie on this is it. a made for tv movie 
Well, it's a direct-to-video martial arts film. Oh. And the tagline okay. was, if you mess with Eric Chase, you mess with the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Again, no tigers in this movie. No jungle cats at all. But wow. the B-plot, or the C-plot, however you want to look at it in the film, is his parents were trying to get him to meet with a college recruiter to get into a college. And that is why I give you Tiger Heart 2 Kicks on Campus. Eric Chase is a college freshman attending a California university who recently gained media attention for foiling a criminal land development scheme with his martial arts prowess. We see people approaching Eric on the street, asking him to sign their copy of the newspaper report on his heroism because that's a thing that happens in this universe now starting school eric is looking to keep a low profile on campus in hopes of preventing any tough guys from starting a fight to prove their own reputations but when eric gets talked into pledging a fraternity by his goofy pal brad high kicking hijinks ensue as part of their hazing eric and brad are forced to box each other while wearing furry animal mascot costumes eric is a tiger of course with the whole affair being orchestrated by the resident fraternity leader and first class jerk, Randy. Brad really wants in, so he keeps egging Eric on to hit me, hit me and make it look good, which Eric resists because he doesn't like being laughed at or being asked to hurt a friend. After insulting Eric, Randy climbs into the ring himself and challenges Tigerheart being easily beaten down. Of course, Eric and Brad are rejected now and have an enemy to make their lives hell on campus. Brad's Coca-Cola is spiked with a hallucinogenic drug by Randy that leads to repeated gags involving Brad seeing ostriches up to no good and embarrassing himself in front of professors and hot co-eds. While Eric is tricked into thinking he earned an academic scholarship that he had applied for, but when he arrives at the location of the ceremony to accept the check, he finds out it was actually a bachelorette party where randy had him set up as a male stripper one gal at the party named samantha realizes eric's embarrassment and helps him out of the situation the two instantly strike up a romance and our hero woos the girl with some prop comedy at an asian fish market when randy sabotages eric's intro to feminism midterm by inserting models cut out from the sports illustrated swimsuit issue into his report it causes our put-upon hero to consider dropping out of school but luckily eric befriends a janitor named roberto who practices the brazilian martial art of capoeira and begins training eric in his new fighting style which becomes a therapeutic pastime it turns out roberto and the janitors are also targeted for poor treatment by randy's frat bros eric also finds out that samantha is randy's sister which strains their relationship as eric suspects samantha of being part of further plans to humiliate him meanwhile brad follows an imaginary ostrich to a lab on campus where he accidentally stumbles on a meeting between randy and a crook named Delo, who is looking to hire the frat boys to steal royal jewels that are on loan to the campus archaeology department for study. Brad is kidnapped and then Eric is tipped off to the scheme by Samantha who shows her true colors in not supporting her brother's actions. Of course this leads to a breakdance fight at a frat party uh, set to hip hop music with Eric and Roberto taking on all covers using their capoeira moves in a 20 minute brawl that seems to include every male student on campus coming at our hero even those not in the fraternity. But Eric is victorious despite being ridiculously outnumbered. 
Randy makes a run at Eric, who, in a fluid movement, strips the frat boy to his underwear and pushes him through a wall onto the DJ stage of a neighboring sorority house, where I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred begins to play, and he's forced to dance himself in a twist of cruel irony. In a final showdown with D'Lo, who has the jewels in hand and Brad at gunpoint, Eric enlists the help of Roberto's custodial cronies, who use cleaning implements to incapacitate D'Lo's gang, while Eric rescues Brad using his famed martial arts skill set. In the end, Randy's frat house is destroyed by a wrecking ball after having their charter revoked by the university, and Eric is awarded the real scholarship he deserved. Samantha makes a joke about him not being required to dance for this check, with Eric quipping back that he's got some private dance moves to show her as credits roll. (laughs) Tiger Heart 2 kicks on campus! There you go. If you see the film, you'll see that this would fit well. Yeah, I believe it. Again, I I encourage you to find it for yourselves. That was my whole purpose of this. Now, Jeremy, you had some ideas for films you wanted to see a sequel of. What was your first that came to mind? All right. The first one, we got all the kids around at the kids table. So we definitely need a kids movie here. And it's a coming of age kids movie. This is from the 1994 G-rated movie, The Pagemaster. Ah, Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin, Christopher Lloyd, Patrick Stewart, Whoopi Goldberg, Leonard Nimoy. All as animated book people. All as animated book people, yes. I actually sat down and watched this the other day. So Macaulay is this little 10-year-old kid who is having issues doing anything because he always (laughs) calculates what the risk is. Like, he would definitely grow up to be a risk assessment at at an insurance company and just love life. But he, he basically is spouting statistics about falling off of a ladder or out of a tree or riding his bike down the street. He's risk averse. And finally, his dad sends him off to the hardware store to pick up one item, pound of nails. <laughs> and he gets sidetracked during a storm, winds up inside a library, slips, hits his head, and enters an animated realm. And this animated realm is where he runs through and meets various books, from horror to adventure to fantasy. And he's forced to actually do something in life, make decisions and be brave, and it completely changes his life. What I would like to see is kind of a reboot of it, but with Macaulay as the page master, the one who is the librarian, and he is helping a new child find their way. So are kids reading books these days? <laughs> do children lift books in their hands I, and open I know. them? <laughs> There would be some challenges. The web page um, master. <laughs> the web page master. That's good. I mean, granted, even McCulley in 1994 looked like he was lost inside of a library and didn't know what he was doing. But you could spin this off into another way. Yeah, I showed it to my kids and they would not sit through it because <laughs> it's not 3D animated. It's like, this is 2D animation. Oh. This isn't real. We don't want to see this. I'm like, oh, wow. Well, they watch all those TV shows with you, Adam. Like, they should be used to 2D animation. Yeah, you would assume so. But this is not outrageous. It's not fail videos and whatever else (laughs) that they love watching. There's no slime involved. Kids are going to be maniacs when they grow up. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess the idea is, if he's librarian, but what is the problem today? 
Is it going to be a kid who's scared? No, it would be a kid addicted to a device and they have to navigate a world without it. So much like we did with our continuation of Home Alone, we have to find some way to knock the devices out. Well, he said it during the world of Blade Runner 2049, that pulse that knocked out everything. Right, just EMP. Yeah. (laughs) We're now in a time of war, children. Yeah. That'll work. (laughs) We'll find a way. But yeah, so if they bring it back around, but it's, it's that whole concept though, right? Like just a physical page means nothing, but you're trying to give it meaning again. That isn't even the the gist of the story from the movie is less about the actual physical device. It's about reading the stories and Mm -hmm. learning about them in a way you can almost get a Fahrenheit 451 vibe. If you wanted to go super dark and broody with reading books and stories, but it was more, the kid had to learn through these stories how to improve himself and get over his hangups and snags and personality quirks so that he could be a functioning adult. Yeah, well, now remind me, were the stories that he went into, were they public domain? Were they generic and not actually based on real books? That's what I couldn't remember. Yes, so each of the worlds were very generic Okay. It was the world of books. There were pirates, but they weren't very specific. There was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but it was also just a horror world. Yeah, because my thought is like, what if we made this actual properties and that would bring people in because it's a mashup of maybe like 80s icons of books that were read by us in elementary school play off the nostalgia vibe yeah exactly it seems like that would be a great way to go right now so you have like Stuart little is in there you know he's had a movie now he's back you know or you get ramona like a beverly cleary character you know, i don't really know how exciting she would be she but she learned some lesson in that book she could pass along you know? right one of the babysitters from the babysitters club and you wouldn't have to go Uh, into a 2d world you can be a highly cgi world just look at what's been in theaters of late with the jumanji remakes Mm -hmm. you're inside of a video game so i mean there are ways to go about it that we can update or make it relevant to today and still have the themes and the moral of the movie is moving children from childhood into getting over their little quirks yeah page master reboot sounds good all right jeff how about you what did you bring to the table today so the one that i wanted to sequelize that i assumed will never actually get to because i have brought it up many times and it has gotten zero traction amongst my fellow (laughs) hosts is Inception. Why we'll never do a sequel to Inception, I don't know, but I've literally brought it up at least five times. So, <laughs> because I nobody understands the first one. I know. Is that what it is? I think some of us have not seen the first one, is my personal vote. No, I saw it in D-Box. It was awesome. I saw then, it like four times in anyway. theaters. So I'm even more confused, but I went ahead and did it anyway. So I came up with Inception 2. My title was Inceptions, but I don't know. I don't know. Inceptions. Maybe we could put like parentheses around the S like they do. 
would that be cool or dumb? It's such a <laughs> like fine they line. Do. Right? You know, do. Like, <laughs> well, no, like when you wanted to make something either single or, or plural, plural, you put the, the, the S in parentheses. That makes even less sense. But anyway, so here we go. Inceptions or Inception 2 takes place five years after the first film. Dom, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, has retired and is, is living with his kids like he'd always hoped to. His friend Arthur, or his co-worker, or whatever, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, comes to visit and tries to convince him to come out of retirement because he and, and I can never pronounce her name, Aria, Aria, whatever her name is. Ellen Page? Uh, yes. <laughs> Ar- Ariadne uh, is how Ariadne, it's spelled. Ariadne, yeah. Is that how they said it? In the movie? Ariadne. It's been a little so anyway, so they cut like they're working together because they're still in the business and they've actually been hired by not necessarily a charitable organization, but it's like a humanitarian organization where they're actually working like it's it's a great cause, not just for the money. They're trying to get Dom to come out of retirement because without him, you know, there's kind of not that charismatic leader. And so, but he refuses because he's still not only is he still living the life that he worked for, but he still has like he's still not fully over the guilt over his his wife's death so his life is kind of continuing but then one day as he's taking the kids to the park he sees a duck that flies in and lands in the lake and a splash happens but the water doesn't go back into the lake it just stays splashed and he stares at that for a while and he's like uh does anybody else see this but nobody else can see it then like a couple of other things along those lines happen which makes him lead to believe that i feel like all of this work that i did of going into the dream world and coming out and going in and going on it's messed with my brain so start seeking out like how, how do i deal with this like you know different different like therapies and stuff like that finally he he results to i gotta go back to arthur and Ellen Page, and basically like, hey, you guys know more about this than anyone I know. How do we deal with this? And they kind of come to a begrudged agreement that if you help us with this case, then we'll dedicate the time and effort into helping you and figuring out what's going on. So again, begrudgingly, he agrees. They set up the whole Inception thing. Everybody goes into the dream world but Dom somehow can't get in. Like he just falls asleep and has a dreamless sleep and then awakes up and he's not in. And so the inception fails and they have to run away and they're like, you know, in in trouble of getting caught. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. It must be whatever's going on in his brain. So they decide like, okay, what we need to do is we need to set up an inception to get into, I don't, do they call them inceptions? Whatever. I called him an, an inception to get into Dom's subconscious so we can get in there and do the work ourselves. And so they come up with this whole plan. We need to do kind of the same thing they did in the first movie where we need to not only go like we need to go like three or four levels deep to really get into your subconscious. And right before the attempt happens, though, the authorities show up. They assume like from the last inception that failed. So Dom has to escape and everybody kind of has to split up and go their own way. Arthur's like, no, come follow me. But he's got to go because now he's worried that his kids might be in danger. So he rushes back home, finds that the kids are nowhere. But as he's searching through the house, he sees what appears to be Mal, his wife. 
is there. Uh, and that, and he's like, what? It, it must be my brain. Like, it's, I'm, it's going deeper and deeper. So he ends up kind of stumbling, fleeing back to that park that last time he was really with the kids. But then when he gets there, the park is as normal, except now the entire lake is like suspended in air. Like it's one giant, like the splash seems to have just kind of continued to affect the whole lake. So now once he sees that, the realization happens like, wait a minute, I don't think it's my brain. I think I'm still asleep. I think I never woke up from our encounter in in the first one, going into Robert's brain and realizing that what this is, is this is actually them trying to wake me up with water and that the only way that he can wake himself up at this point is he needs to actually jump into this suspended lake that's in the air but when he does that mal pleads with him about like you can't leave us like you this is this is where you belong this is his kids have a tearful like no dad you can't leave us this is our home arthur and angel like come up with all these things about like you're totally wrong about this none of this is is whatever but he kind of realizes all of this is his subconscious doing everything that it can to keep him inside of his of his own mind and his own dreams and so finally you know through pain and tears and and just the emotional pain of having to turn away from his wife and his friends and his children he does decide with tears in his eyes he dives into the suspended lake and then we see him actually wake up and that's when credits roll so there's one major oversight i feel here jeff okay. I, I was waiting for it i was waiting for it the most iconic oh, no. Uh, how do I put it? The moment of the film that everybody walks away talking about and thinking about is Dom's top. Right. He spins. Right. And I just felt like there was no answer to that. I mean, like the end of this sounds like it didn't answer the question. Yeah. No, it does answer the question. That's the point. Okay. That, and that's what I thought about. If you show the top at any point, he would know. Because the whole, the whole landing of the previous movie was he spun the top and then left didn't even see if it fell or not because he didn't care anymore. He didn't uh, care if he was in a dream or if he was in a real world. So right. if we show the top spinning, then one, either Dom would have to know or the audience would have to know. So my thought is, and especially this is Christopher Nolan, so he's going to Nolanize all of this and take it to a level that we can't quite fathom. My one thought was what you could do is in the opening credits, you could have the opening credits on the table with the like flowers or whatever it is, but not the top. The top is off screen. And maybe you could have the sound of it spinning. Of it spinning, yeah. Exactly. Because my whole thing, like you said, for me, the point of the movie of this one is that you got to keep the audience not knowing that he's in the dream world. You could use it as part of the reveal at the end. For me, I kind of feel like that's what happened in the first movie. So that's why, you know, he's left the top behind, I guess. But he totally could. When he finally realizes what happens, he could find his top and spin it. But you can't introduce it any earlier than that or it would give it away. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Like, I just feel like, yeah, there has to be some sure. reference to it or else people are going to be like, what are you doing? Because the, the original film was essentially dealing with a lot of the same issues, right? This is just kind of 
clearing it up for certain by the end is kind of because uh, wasn't wasn't he also doubting where he was and what version of reality he was in and all of that or do you feel it was more just about him dealing with mal's death i don't know that he thought he was in a dream in this last movie i mean not until the end mm-hmm. like i thought like the whole challenge was that his wife thought she was in a dream and that's why she committed suicide right but for me, it was that struggle between, like, he, he wanted to go home to his kid in the first movie. I want to go home to my kids. I want to live this kind of life, like, as best as I can. But I can't because, like, I'm forced to continue doing what I'm doing, even though it's not what I want to be doing. Well, how did it feel, Jeff? Feel good to get that out of your system? <laughs> uh... <laughs> to release it into the world? Plant it in our subconscious? I don't know why. This is the one that just had no... I mean, we did John Carter. John <laughs> Carter! But not Inception. Uh, there's there's still so much you can explore with that. There is! Uh, we won't, even... but we could. Right. <laughs> I mean, even from just a creator's perspective, Christopher Nolan has come out and said with specific movies of his like inception what was the first one memento memento there peeks into the world of creating movies from an outside perspective and in a way like even inception you could say that hey the real world and each level they go down is diving deeper and deeper into a movie or a film and losing yourself within them which is why they were saying that time passes much slower with each step. Basically, like when Mal jumps off the building in real life, she's lost in the fantasy world. And it, it's references to people getting lost within their TV shows, their movies. All of this societal commentary just couched within this movie that talks about going deeper into dreams. And- yeah, well, and my main objection to doing it, honestly, is that I like I would almost say it would have to be a prequel because I feel that doing a sequel cheapens the ending of the first film. It's just like Joker. If they ever do a sequel to it, it cheapens what they were trying to accomplish. That's the- whole point of our show (laughs) everything it's true it's true you can still do one adam you can always do that that is always an option on the table sequel prequel or reboot come on (laughs) so adam what's your next what is the main course here all right so the other film and this was actually recently mentioned revealed on our sq rewind episode where we were pitching a sequel to et the extraterrestrial but for me there was a film that was my alien buddy movie before i ever saw the iconic spielberg film i own three copies of this movie on vhs the blu-ray it's very nostalgic for me of course i'm talking about Mac and me. <laughs> the one Paul Rudd shows a clip from every yep. time on Conan. Well, That's right. And recently it was riffed on Mystery Side Theater 3000 on Netflix on the newest season. <laughs> so a lot more people know about it now, and I'm hoping it raises awareness. Now, famously, that film ended 
with a word balloon coming up out of a car saying, we'll be back. <laughs> and it never happened. That was 1988. So we are, we are past that 30 year mark here. But I would just say the reason the film means so much to me, I mean, E.T., obviously a better film. Mac and Me, obviously a ripoff of E.T. I mean, that was its purpose. The, the filmmaker said, I just felt like we needed an update of E.T. six years <laughs> later. But to me, the style of Southern California home and neighborhood, the clothes, the Sears store, just that 1988 setting is 100% my childhood. Like, that's the 80s I remember more so than the early 80s in, like, Stranger Things. That's what's so often celebrated, the E.T. 80s, and that's not my 80s. My 80s are the late 80s and early 90s that whole crossover period so that's why this film means so much to me because like i look at it i'm like yes that's what i remember people assumed it was sponsored by mcdonald's and coke they were invited to participate and became a very big part of the story including a dance number inside a mcdonald's but it was not conceived at you know mcdonald's hq so i said to myself let's say that this is now you know two maybe three years later and mac and me is going to get its promised sequel what are they going to ape now? You know, they already took E.T. and adapted it. But what was the biggest film of 1990? That's right. Getting back to Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone. And so I give you Mac and Me 2, Alien Alone. I have to mention also that because this is taking place after the original film, the previous film sponsored in part by mcdonald's and coca-cola this is about to get extreme for the 90s and so now it is actually being sponsored by apple computers instead of a big mac you know you got your mac computer it's all coming together there's synergy here so Though they still don't speak English, Mac and his family have settled into suburban life in Southern California after having been sworn in as U.S. citizens at the end of the original film. Mac's dad works as an auto mechanic, often pimping out people's cars with technology connected to Apple Macintosh computer operating systems, which is the closest to their advanced Martian technology. Devices like an automated shaving assistant to clean you up when you're late for work, and a microwave for heating up snacks on the go, or a big hit. Max Bob works at a Costco-style warehouse called Price Club, handing out free samples of food like taquitos, bagel pizzas, and microwave quiche. While his sister has graduated from beauty school and creates hip new out-of-this-world hairstyles at a local salon. Mac, meanwhile, is a total 90s skater kid, complete with backwards baseball cap, Zubas, pants, and rollerblades. He often gets pulled along on the back of his buddy Eric's wheelchair as they pull sick tricks around the neighborhood using Mac's telekinetic abilities. He and Eric talk to each other using an Apple Newton device, which for those that don't recall was a cutting edge electronic notepad by Apple that preceded the Blackberry and, you know, eventually begat the smartphone. Yes. Yeah. So when Mac's dad perfects his translation software called Whistler or WSTLR for Word Software Translation Language Repeater, which allows the alien family's whistling language to be translated to English, it leads to various gags involving poor translations that insult the neighbors, store clerks, and police officers. 
But Dad has been working on the device in order to get money so he can build a spacecraft capable of traveling back to Mars to rescue the rest of their family who are likely still scavenging for water on the Red Planet. It's accidentally revealed that the tech can also be used to translate the language of animals. And when Eric's mom gets word to the CEO of the pet store chain where she now works about the new tech, he requests an in-person demonstration, a communication which is overheard by a devious neighbor, Stanley, who works for an animal research lab looking to create, you guessed it, animal soldiers who can understand orders of human military leaders. This leads to the families planning a vacation to New York City to hopefully sell the software and fund the Mars craft. But when Mac gets afraid of a picture of the Statue of Liberty, which he calls the Green Giant, he puts a tickle the elbow in his old teddy bear costume and places it in the car under a blanket, making the family think he's just scared of the trip as they drive to the airport, with Eric transport Mac on his lap in the wheelchair, supposedly shivering with fright. Mac, meanwhile, has hidden in a closet, and once the family leaves, he begins to live it up, renting movies like Terminator 2 Judgment Day and Under Siege on pay-per-view to make him feel cool. Wow. Mac also uses his dad's failed prototype for the Whistler software to order Chinese takeout, which catches the attention of Stanley the neighbor, who hires two goons named Bob and Barney to break into Mac's home and steal the device. Stanley also hires the airport shuttle driver to take Mac and Eric's family to the wrong airport, causing them to miss their flight. It is in this confusion that Eric pulls off the bear costume and realizes the little alien is missing. They call home to make sure Mac is okay, but he hangs up when the criminals begin their home invasion. Hijinks ensue as Mac fights back against Bob and Barty who are breaking into his home. He pours containers of gack slime on the ground to make them slip. He creates tripwires with Super Nintendo game controller cords and squirts them in the eyes with super soaker water guns filled with lemon juice. Mac gets in on the comedy also as Whistler translates his taunts and insults to the criminals. With their failure, Stanley attempts to get the machine himself, but of course little Mac prevails, first by using a yak back recording toy in place of a talk boy to confuse the villain, then by putting on a leather jacket and sunglasses to imitate Schwarzenegger before finally busting out martial arts moves like Steven Seagal as he saw in pay-per-view earlier calling it his Mac attack. In the end, the CEO shows up at their house, saying he couldn't wait for the meeting, and Mac's dad gets the contract for the Whistler, allowing the aliens to build their ship and take Eric and his family on a trip to Mars with them. The final shot is a message spelled out in the stars, saying, We'll be back for Mac and Me 3, Mac of Mars. And it will be produced by the Mars Candy Company. <laughs> Finally, the credits will feature a rap song by Criss Cross, who often refer to themselves as the Mac Daddy and the Daddy Mac. So there you have it. I get it. Mac and me too. Alien alone. Wow. <laughs> wow. Chew on that. Chew on that. I might be the most proud of this pitch of anything in the last year. It's very possible. <laughs> Although I, I have to say, I am quite impressed that both of these movies, you are absolutely right. I cannot see us ever doing this like on a full show. So <laughs> I'm impressed. This was the time. I, yeah. I have to mention, too, I did have another movie that I was working on, and I just could not make it work, which was a prequel to Congo called Homolka's Quest. <laughs> it was going to be the Homolka story, you know, and how he became formerly 
of Romania and all this stuff, but it was basically going to be like Mr. Bean as Indiana Jones, and it just didn't come together, unfortunately, so <laughs> I let it go after five paragraphs. <laughs> That's a start for me, you know. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeremy, do you have a dessert for us? I think you had another idea. Well, yeah. I mean, what kind of Thanksgiving is it if we don't crack open a cold one and break into some racial politics? What? Ra- what just happened? <laughs> what what show is this? <laughs> Uh, there's been a book that I've wanted to see be made into a movie, and I recently, when I started researching this, I found there was a movie, and it is the most terrible Nickelodeon movie I've ever seen. It's starring the kid from Disney's Sky High, and this is from back in 2003. The book is Jerry Spinelli's Maniac McGee. I'm going to run through a brief synopsis on the book here. Jeffrey Lionel McGee is living a normal life until his parents are killed in a tragic trolley accident when he's three. He's sent to live with his Aunt Dot and Uncle Dan, and despite Dot's sporty name, it's not a fun household. Uncle Dan and Aunt Dot hate each other, meaning that Maniac grows up in a loveless, largely silent home. When he's 11, he's finally had enough and takes off running. Running away... And yes, literally running. He runs for a couple hundred miles and a year later winds up in Two Mills, Pennsylvania. Well, Maniac doesn't know this yet, but Two Mills is a divided town. The east and west ends are separated by Hector Street. Maniac's first stop is in the east end, where he meets Amanda Beale and a whole slew of others. Maniac goes back and forth between the east and west side, making friends along the way, but mostly making enemies. And for some reason, he is oblivious to noticing that the West End is entirely white and the East End is entirely black. He is adopted by one of the black families, the Beals. They take him in, treat him like a member of the family, and life is going great. Except not everybody in the East End appreciates the idea of a white kid living with a black family in a black neighborhood. So Maniac is chased out, and after untangling the Great Cobble's Knot, winds up living in the Buffalo Pin at the local zoo. Here he meets Earl Grayson, a former washed-up major leaguer. Things are hunky-dory. Maniac's finally got a father figure. Grayson learns to read from Maniac, and they celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas. But then tragedy strikes, and Grayson dies. Maniac is left alone again. So Maniac goes through some depression and is not doing well, ends up cold, starving, and alone in Valley Forge. That's when the McNabb brothers find him on their way to Mexico. These little hoodlums provide a reason for Maniac to stick around for a while in a nasty, nasty home filled with nasty, nasty people. But even with the McNabs, he ends up crossing back and forth between the east and west side and uniting a city. And you want to find out what happens next? Uh, no, I, I want to see this. Like this, this. This is your reboot pitch. This would be my reboot pitch, yes. I would actually like to see this done right. And I'm sorry, Nickelodeon, that was terrible. What, what was your main issue? What was your main complaint? Uh, well, the biggest complaint is that the second act of the book revolves around him 
basically living in the zoo and his whole relationship with Grayson, the zookeeper, and basically living a, a semi-normal life other than living in the buffalo pin. And they completely cut that out. Granted, it's a Nickelodeon movie, so I'm sure they didn't want to encourage children running away and living in the zoo. But that guy, Grayson, is the first good, positive male role model father figure that Maniac has had in his life since he was three. But does that mean he does no running in the Nickelodeon version? <laughs> no, he runs and he plays baseball. Yeah, they, they mix some things up. And the whole cobbles knot thing, that's a big thing in the book because it's an unsolvable knot. It's hanging in the town square, basically. And for some reason, this kid is able to come in and he untangles the whole thing. So he's Arthur removing the sword from the stone that everybody follows him bit. to racial equality. Uh, yeah. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, like, I feel like if your main complaint is we got to get this Grayson character back in the story if you're going to make the movie based on the book, who who do you have in your mind as this father figure to our main character? Maybe you get a big enough actor and he's, yeah, oh yeah, well, he definitely, he wants to play this part and then they're definitely going to keep that in in this, in this reboot. So what do you think? There are two names that come to mind. Obviously, you want somebody with some gravitas. Let's go to Denzel Washington. Okay. Throw the pocketbook at him. Tell him that he'll have to work for scale, but we'll make it work. He's committed to the project artistically. I mean, the other name would be... Will Smith. I mean, he had his Bagger Vance uh, film. Uh, no. The thing is, you don't want him taking over the movie, and that is Will Smith. Like, Will Smith is just Will Smith in every other movie, dressed up differently. He would somehow become a producer... And then he would weasel his way into that role. That's how I feel about Will Smith. And then, of course, he would change the, the main character to be his own kid. Right, exactly. Like, they'd switch it around so Jaden is now Maniac McGee. He's not the Karate Kid anymore. So, all right, well, I, I think you get Denzel in there. That's a safe bet, and everybody trusts him. And much like Thanksgiving dinner, when you bring up politics, it is a showstopper. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, since I've lost everyone, let's <laughs> wrap this show up. Send everybody on their way. And people wonder why I try to steer the ship. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> we, we all help each other out in making the best decision possible for the films we are going to discuss at length and uh, keep ourselves out of hot water. So that's good, though, Jeremy. And I'm glad that you enjoyed the book. I'm glad that you want to see it, uh, you know, done right. That is a... Uh, a noble pursuit on your part. So yes, well, Thanksgiving is upon us now. We wish you all the best. We wish you peace and harmony with your families as you gather, safe travels, and, you know, maybe throw on one of those movies that we talked about up front, or why don't you uh, choose one of the movies we've discussed here and uh, find out if any of your family members are interested in seeing more of those stories, you know? Inception, great holiday film, True. you know? <laughs> Mac and me, uh, it's going to make you hungry. A lot of McDonald's in there. A delicious Coke, even classic Otter Pops. Mm. And be sure to keep an eye on our social media, and we'll be coming back at you with a, a new episode for Christmas time. And we can let the cat out of the bag right now. Little preview, we will be pitching our sequel ideas to Will Ferrell and John Favreau's Elf. 
So we hope that you are ready to find some gum on the sidewalk and chew it along with us when that time comes. Pour some syrup on your spaghetti. But until next time, gobble, 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 gobble. <laughs> Solid. Wow. <laughs> We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.